0: José Saramago published The Cave in 2000. He'd won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1998, and he died in 2010. The novel is translated by Margaret Jules Costa from Portuguese into an English that is at once familiar and like none you'll ever have heard before. Open the book, you'll be treated to long and rambling sentences, chatty ones, taking you in any number of directions. The book reads like the the inner voice of a retired lawyer or teacher, rather pompous, but very liberal and human, also very opinionated. But the writing is not just about the characters, it allows you to follow trains of thought, emotion, and memory. The in-between stages get blurred, and I start to feel that basic relations between people are suspended or re-evaluated, like in times of crisis. Right now, there is just a family, hit by grief at the mother's death, under the pressures between the in-laws and between the generations. We're in a no man's land. No one has both ability and wisdom. Everybody's on the way to an unknown trauma ahead. Also, everyone can discover joys germinating in what they have forgotten. (coughs) But there is a situation too, a particular catastrophe. Saramago's narrative voice envelops everyone in a sort of uncertain community. He describes the shock central to the whole novel in the words of an old lefty. It's about class solidarity versus economic necessity. <coughs> but political theory has disintegrated. It's integrated in the emotional dynamics of a family, the struggle to survive, the clash of overlapping perceptions. Al Gore, the father, is a rural potter outside the metropolis. One day, the super city no longer needs his breakable crockery. Immediate penury. The security guards act as market analysts, they grant or deny access to wealth production in the city. They are like prophets of a future they already control, but without knowing how. (coughs) Their interest is in passing on a system intact without leaving any fingerprints. For Al Gore as a potter, his skill has the mark of his body all over it. (coughs) The meticulousness of Saramago's sentences turns now into never-ending heartache and it traces an an astonishing response the potter is to become an artisan. If his useful crockery is no longer of use, he will manufacture figurines instead. But why would something decorative be be more needed than something useful? Father and daughter pour over encyclopedias and magazines trying to work out the rules of market appeal. This is the archive of their childhoods and of their culture. It's a fragmented culture, broken up along the fault lines of the generations of rural and herbal environments, and of artisanal and digital living. But there is also a threadbare communication kept alive in this nascent community of father, daughter, and son-in-law. The figurines are clay dolls. They are fixated toys for adults. They have emotional as well as consumer content, and the search for the right combination is full of pathos as well as economic danger. It's all a matter of codes, Responses can be planned and induced, but that doesn't mean that codes are impersonal or that anyone's in control of them. There is always something left over. The figurines father and daughter decide on are the clown, the Eskimo, the Mandarin, the nurse, and the bearded Assyrian who carries vague echoes of ancient civilizations and present genocides. What a motley collection. Each decision involves a change in working practice and a new step in the little intergenerational community they are forging. But the project fails. Did it ever have a chance? Economic failure compounds the pain of collapsing emotional attachments with the past and with work. How will they live in no man's land now? They change tack again, and it explains the title of the novel. The plan is for a kind of nomadic utopia. The reconstructed family will simply wonder. And something will definitely happen. But going anywhere involves leaving something behind. The potter stops to bury all the unsold figurines, all the broken crockery from the previous business. Everything is buried in a cave. In Plato's famous cat allegory, which is like a story with a situation but no plot, there is a cave with a large fire which illuminates a wall. People sit facing the wall with chains to their necks, keeping them looking only forward. Behind them, others pass, casting their shadows on the wall. We are now those with chains to our necks and our eyes fixed on illusions. Perhaps the Potter's burgeoning community will be compromised by its own perspectives. And most certainly, the metropolis will profit from our inability to see the past in anything other than the colors of now. As they leave, the son-in-law recites the slogan designed by his former bosses, coming soon, public opening of Plato's Cave, an exclusive attraction unique to the world, buy your tickets now. (laughs) Still, market forces and a nomadic opting out are equally arbitrary. The future they both offer is divorced from the past which forms it. But in oblivion there is also life. Why read this book? In times of global conflict, I think we need novels with poetry to help us understand both what lies ahead of us and beyond our reach. Thank you.